Submitted for your approval. Submitted for your approval. Another dimension. Light for your approval. Another dimension. Light for your shadow. Another dimension. Light for your shadow. Another dimension. Light for your shadow. Another twilight zone. Submitted for your approval. The twilight zone. Submitted for your approval. The twilight zone. Hello, hello, hello. You're listening to a podcast, not only of sound, but also of mind. It's Time to Rewind is a podcast that takes a journey into a wondrous land of time loops, whose boundaries are that of imagination. Each episode, my guest and I explore these time loops, one loop at a time. This stop is Trapped in the Twilight Zone. And this is my second stop at 1959's Season 1, Episode 10, Judgment Night. Here with me is my is my guest, author J.D. Keene. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Nathan. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. Sure, it's uh, it's good to have you on. I and you know the reason why I asked you to to talk about Twilight Zone is that you know I I have I understand that you have some background in the history of World War II, which is where this episode takes place. Uh, why don't you tell tell us a little bit about you know your your writing and and what got you interested in World War II? Sure. Um, well, I've I've been interested in the Second World War since as long as I can remember. When I was a kid growing up, I watched all the old black and white World War movies and read the books, and I just was always fascinated with it. And in 2018, um, I took a trip to Normandy, France, to the D-Day beaches. Um, and visited a little town called uh, St. Mary Glees. It was the first town liberated in uh, the D-Day invasion. And I wrote a book about it. It's called The Heroes of St. Mary Glees. It's a fictional fictional novel and has done really well. And I've gotten a lot of good reviews from it. And I enjoyed the process. So I wrote a second one uh, called Nino's Heart. And then I've written a third book called Nino's War, which is just a continuation of Nino's Heart. And that's more of a love story uh, that takes place in Italy, but but during the Second World War. Okay, so what what kind of research um, did you do? Like, did did you do a lot of book research? I, I know you said that you visited the site as as well. Uh, what what but, was that process like? Well, typically, whenever I write a novel, I've, as I said, I've written third three. I'm starting on my fourth. I spend a fair amount of time researching the particulars about it, um, and that is a matter. I typically read two or three books from cover to cover. Um, fortunately, we live in an age of technology where I can find documentaries easily, um, mm-hmm. and so there's there's plenty of information to gather. The book I'm writing now uh, takes place in uh, Italy. It's a it's the third book of the Nino series, and I'm actually going to have the Pope, the Pope is going to be one of the characters. He's going to play a minor role. So I'm in the process of doing research of uh, what, what role the Pope played in the second world war. Um, what some things that were going on behind the scenes. And I've actually learned quite a bit about some of the things that were going on behind the scenes that a lot of people don't know that the Pope was involved in. Um, he had to kind of walk a tightrope, but I p- pretty much just read a lot, watch documentaries. Oh, interesting. And then, you know, the, this is, we're talking about the Twilight Zone here. Do you have a history at all with the Twilight Zone? 
I watched it when I grew up as a, as a kid. Um, that's when it was popular. Um, and so I did watch it. It was always fascinating to me. I don't remember a whole lot about it. Sometimes if I, if I watch an older episode, I'll remember it. But there's been a big gap from the time I used to watch it on a regular basis mm -hmm. till now. So um, it, I think it was, it was almost a, a show kind of before its time. It was very, um, very intriguing as far as the um, just the the nature of what it what it discussed. Yeah, a lot of the episodes are are still you know relevant today because a lot of the the themes and stories that they tackled even back then are are very timeless. And then you know the the episode that we're talking about today, Judgment Night. Whenever you watched it uh, for this, was that one of the ones that like? Did you have any memory of, of watching it before? Or did it seem pretty new watching it? It seemed time? new. I didn't. I don't recall watching that particular episode. It was. I found it intriguing though, particularly from the aspect of the Second World War, and um, some of the, the technicalities of it. Um, somebody had done their research, or somebody at least had was familiar with some things. Um, and I can give you an example. Um, particularly, they, they spoke about wolf packs. There was a, mm -hmm. one of the scenes where they were they were in the uh, bar area, the cafe area, and they were discussing um, the ship that they were on. There was some concern that they would be attacked. And one of the gentlemen said that he was concerned about wolf packs. Well, the, the main, I would I'd call him the main character, the person who um was the captain of a german submarine uh, carl lancer as it's yes 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 i should have read that down. <laughs> uh, he he spoke up and he said something very accurate he said wolf packs don't target single ships and to give you a little history about that um wolf packs actually started in the first world war the, the germans actually started and they didn't have a whole lot of success so they kind of scrapped it the second world war they they started to to uh, rejuvenate it, re revise it, and they came up with some other strategies. But before they did that, they would just send out single subs and they would scatter them and look for single ships. Well, what the allies did was they said, well, all right, well, single ships are getting attacked by single submarines. Let's group our ships together, go put them in in groups and form somewhat of a convoy. So that way, when one of these single submarines hit one of our ships, the others would be aware of it. Um, and they could also possibly send out planes from, from England to try and locate the submarine and um, destroy it. So what the Germans did is they that's when they, they revised the wolf pack strategy because the allies started forming convoys. So they said, all right, this is perfect. We'll just form these wolf packs. That way, all of these submarines can attack all of these ships at once. So long, I know it's a, a long, long comment for one statement, but it comes down to the fact that somebody, whoever was producing this film was aware of that, was aware of that strategy. Yeah, I, I mean, this uh, this episode did come out in, in 1959, and, and the episode uh, takes place in 1942, 42, so that's, yeah. uh, that, that's only, you know, um, 
17 Seven. years difference. And interesting about that, if you, there's even some television shows like Hogan's Heroes. And if I get off track, I tend to do that, just, just interrupt me. But Hogan's Heroes, that show, I'm sure you're familiar with it. It actually mm-hmm. had it actually had a lot of those characters that were in there were actually in the Second World War. So that period of time during the 50s, any film, any documentary, and anything that was made, they were probably they their their technical information was probably very accurate because there were still people relatively young who were there and knew the information. And so um, this does take place in 1942, and I don't I don't recall if it said what time of year it was, but um, can you like I'm. I'm not super up to date on my World War II knowledge. So what at what point in the war would this would this have been? In 19, 19, most historians agree that in Europe, the war actually started on September 1st, 1939. That's when the Germans invaded Poland. And in May 1940, they invaded northern France and Belgium. So the, the English were involved in the war. Um, from from early on. So even though the United States didn't physically get involved until December 1941, the convoys, we were supporting the the British, uh, I believe it was from 1940, 1941, we were sending them supplies. We were sending them lots of tonnage of supplies, even though we physically did not have troops um, there. So the, the... the convoys had started and been going on for a long time, going back and forth. So in 1942, the war was pretty ramped up. In fact, it was very ramped up. We were involved. We were primarily in North Africa at that time. We, we were fighting the Germans and the Italians in North Africa. Once we defeated them, then we moved into Italy. And in 1944 is when we went from England into France during D-Day. And hopefully that answers your question. I may have misunderstood it. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I was looking for. And so were there any other um, you know, details that, that you noticed that, that stood out to you as being either accurate or, or inaccurate? I would say, you know, one of the things, and, and we kind of exchanged an email about this earlier, about the darkened ship. Um, yeah. Yeah, I noticed that, um, you know, and at the very beginning, you know, they say lights out in the salon and they, they cover the, the porthole uh, where everybody's eating. And then whenever anybody opens the door, they shut the lights out before they open the door and then they wait till it's closed to turn it back on. Right. Um, sometimes, and it appeared in this particular episode and I could have been wrong, maybe I didn't catch it. It was almost as though the door was on an automatic switch when the door opened, the lights went out, and then when it closed. I could be wrong on that. But I, I, had, I was in the Navy, the U.S. Navy, and we had darkened ship also. But typically what we did is during dark, darkened ship, if we had to step outside, we just opened the door and stepped out as quickly as we could and shut the door so that there would only be light for a very brief period of time. Um, and that was critical just because when you're out at sea, it, it, it's, a, it's like being, and then particularly if there's no moon, it's like being in a closet with the lights out. It's that dark. Um, so if there's a ship in the distance and you open a door, or you open a porthole, 
and they see that light, even if it's just a pinhole, they know that it's another ship. So, so darkened ship is always very critical uh, in, in a military environment. Okay. Um, and then the, the other thing that, that stood out to me that I didn't notice it before, and I was curious, I, I'm not sure if you know anything about this, because I, I, I actually tried to, to look up some information and, and I couldn't find anything accurate, but uh, towards the end of the episode, whenever Lance, Lancer is drinking at the bar and the engines cut off, the, he's talking, or the, and he, he mentions that the engines sound strained and the, uh, the bartender says that they're always like that. And he said that the, he heard that the engines were made for Lord Nelson. And I was curious, um, I guess, before I go into what, what I looked up, if, if that means anything to you or if you know anything about that. I do not. That, that is, uh, I would have to research that myself. Yeah, so I, I did a little bit of research on, on that because I was curious and, and I couldn't find anything definitive. I mean, Lord Nelson, he was uh, also known as Admiral Nelson. He was an English flag officer in the Royal Navy, uh, but he was famous for the Napoleonic Wars and he died in the early 1800s. So I thought that that was odd that, you know, they, they named it, that he said that the ship's engine was supposedly made for Lord Nelson, which that would have been before the age of steam engines. Well, I would, had I known that, and possibly back in 1959, more people would have known that. Perhaps that, perhaps that was just a touch of sarcasm. Yeah, I, I considered that as well, that he was basically, you know, making a joke about how old the engines were. Correct. That's the way I would interpret that. Yeah, yeah the, the only other thing that I, I found was there were actually a series of railroad yeah. engines that were, they tended to be named after, like the different types of railroad engines were named after different British naval officers. And the biggest ones that were made at the time were named after Lord Nelson. But <laughs> Um, I, I don't think that I, I couldn't find any connection between the railroad steam engines and the and ship steam engines. So I I think it like you said I, I think it might have just been a joke that may have you know landed better back in 1959. <laughs> right. And exactly. here in 2019, the context is just completely lost. Right. There's probably several people looking up Lord Nelson on that one. <laughs> uh, so was uh, what did you think about you know the the episode in general like a, as just a, a twilight zone episode as far as uh, i was there was first time i watched it i was a little confused because it was like there was a flash forward and then a flash back where the that again the main character and what I'm, i apologize what did you say his name was a carl lancer Carl Lancer. He's in the beginning talking to that one officer and then they have the primary story and then they, and then they repeat that scene. Um, that's, that's, so that, I thought that was kind of odd, but that's uh, in terms of storytelling, but that, that's what they chose to do. But, um, you know, I thought that was odd. I thought um, the, the acting, <laughs> wasn't wasn't the best to some extent but um it was a little little dramatic there but uh overall it was an entertaining story i mean 
And I, and it certainly had a theme. It had a very strong theme that, um, which I interpreted as, you know, if, if you, if you harm somebody, if you have any, if you have any conscience about yourself at all, that's never going to escape you. If, you know, you kill somebody, you sink a ship, you do something, it's not that easy to just forget about it. You know, you spend the rest of your life with that. It's stuck in your head. I, I sunk a ship that had people on it and they died. And I, that's my, that was my interpretation of the theme of the episode. So, so let me ask you, you bring up an interesting point because, you know, that this, this episode is, is basically following the Carl Lancer himself, his punishment and like his eternal punishments with throughout purgatory or, or whatever, like as basically as a ghost in the afterlife, or it's like his per- version of his, his own personal hell that he has to relive this, this tragedy that he caused and had no remorse over. And do you think that the other officers on Carl Lancer's ship, the other German officers, do you think that they're stuck in a similar hell like this? Do you think they're maybe reliving their own versions? Or do you think that maybe they escaped it like the, uh, um, like Miller that he talks, that Lancer talks to, the one that brings up this punishment? And do you think that maybe he escapes it because he has remorse for what he's done, where Lancer is being punished because he has no remorse? I would say... If, if there was an intentional theme and a, or a lesson to be learned, I would say the latter is that um, Lancer, he's, he's the guy who's got, he's the one who initially had no concern whatsoever. It's like, it's almost as though he took pleasure in it. We're doing our job. We have to sink the ship. We're sinking the ship. But then it got, it, then he had to pay the price for not, not, having a concern not having a conscience is how i interpreted it yeah i i i agree with that and and i think that that is that is part of why they have that scene which um you know i i asked my last guest about this but do you think that that scene where they where they cut to his actions on the german ship whenever he's you know um saying uh, fire fry which is is german for fire at will Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, whenever he's saying that over and over in order to sink the the SS Queen of Glasgow, or do you think that that is like a a flashback to where it's it's showing it's the episode showing the audience what happened initially, or do you think that Carl uh, Lancer as as this uh, spirit being punished, do you think he's reliving that memory? I think he's probably reliving it. It's a combination of both. And I, I even think that, you know, on a, on a side note, I think one of the reasons that even today in modern times, some soldiers have PTSD, some of it may very well be because they took somebody else's life. Um, may possibly multiple times. And, that's something they have to live with you know granted they were sent there to do that they were trained to do that but still i fortunately have never shot a gun at somebody and took their life however i would imagine if i ever did 
whether it be in battle or whether I would imagine that would be something that would stick with me. So I would relate that also to um, a captain of a submarine who sinks a ship. You're taking somebody's life. It's not something you're going to forget. Uh, Jumping back a little bit, because I I just remembered that there was one other historical accuracy question that, that, that you might be able to answer, but do you think that it would have been accurate about what he said um, with the attack where the submarine wouldn't have used torpedoes to sink the ship, that they would have actually surfaced and used their um, the guns on like the, the heavy mortars on top of the submarine and, uh, you know, the soldiers firing outside of, of the sub or if they likely would have remained underwater and just... Uh, attacked with torpedoes what's interesting you say that is because that's something i didn't notice and i i didn't forget to bring it up but more than likely what they did it would have been a torpedo um surfacing like that the the only the only i don't see an advantage to surfacing and using the gun the the gun on the on the main deck um First of all, a lot of times those guns aren't large enough to sink a ship. The torpedo is. The torpedo goes in at water level, so it blows a hole. That's what sinks the ship. Mm-hmm. The, the topside gun is not of a caliber, typically, to sink a ship. It's more of a defensive weapon, whereas the torpedo for a submarine is an offensive weapon. So I think I noticed that, and I think that was more so for dramatic effect for the yeah. film, because if you think think about Lancer, when he grabs the binoculars, he's looking at the binoculars, and you might be able to answer this because I, I didn't know. Was he looking at himself? Yes, he was. He played, you know, the, the same actor played Carl Lancer on the SS Queen of Glasgow, as well as the 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 German officer in his uniform on the, the submarine. Okay, that's what I thought. So I, th- I think they did that for dramatic effect because obviously if you shoot a torpedo and he's looking at binoculars, he's not going to see himself. So and that there was would, done. There would have been, you know, like he, he mentioned that there was no warning that they attacked without warning and, and that one would have been you know, not even just no warning, but it, it would have came out of nowhere. They would have had absolutely no uh, idea that they were being attacked until the the torpedo hit. Correct. And that's typically the way it was done. Um, So, yeah, I I would say that was probably just done for drama. And then in in terms of um, like a a time loop, since, you know, I I am looking at, at these episodes from a time loop perspective, you know, we only get to see really one instance and then uh, we just get to see like a minute of him repeating his his punishment at the very end. Like, do you, what do you think of this in, in terms of a time loop? Like, I know it's it's different because it we get the impression that he's not, since it is more of a punishment than like a, you know, like a Groundhog Day time loop, he's there to suffer rather than learn and improve himself well i think with that when in the opening scene when he's in his own cabin with the other officers the um 
that other officer even mentions, he hints, and I, I don't know his exact words, but he hints that we will have to live with this indefinitely over and over. So that was kind of some foreshadowing as to the time loop. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think that um, in terms of a time loop, this, this is a very different because it, it's not so much about time travel where the character is, is physically reliving it, but it's more of a, a spiritual punishment. And um, on top of that, he tends to, it, or it seems like he loses most of his memory. Whereas like, if you look at other time loop movies like Groundhog Day, the main character keeps their memories of the previous time loops. So that way they can change thing. They can change their own behavior where in this Carl answer would likely be repeating the exact same behavior every single time. So it's right. more like a, a Sisyphean punishment rather than something that he could maybe eventually learn from or, or break free from. Well, you, you mentioned a word previously that I, I think was very appropriate purgatory. Yeah. And I think that was kind of the intention of, of his guilt is, is he has to deal with this. Oh, he has to relive what he did to somebody else himself over and over and over. And the fact that he forgets it and then relives it, that's what makes it more, more difficult for him. Mm-hmm. Every, every time it's new. Yeah. And, and they have, and at least what we see in this episode, they even, they do extra things that kind of hit, hit the point home harder. Like the, you know, one of his first interactions whenever he goes into the salon is he picks up um, a little girl's doll and hands it to her and she says, thank you. And that's, I think that does a couple of things. I think one, it's at least initially makes you sympathize with Carl Lancer as a character because, you know, it, it makes you seem like he is a good person at heart. And it's not until you see the entire episode go throughout that you see and you see the flashback of him firing on the vessel that you realize that, you know, it, you know maybe he might, he might be a good character in some aspects, but he's not like overall he's not a very good character that that he would do this and and fire without warning on this ship carrying women and children well there's actually in storytelling because i i write novels i've studied that also there's actually a term for that in stories it's called pet the dog and it's often done for heroes and villains in this case it was a villain um it's called pet the dog because everybody loves puppies, right? So mm-hmm. if in an opening scene you have your villain see a dog and he pats him on the head and pets him and all of a sudden you you have a bond with that person because everybody loves dogs and this person is showing kindness to dogs. And what they did, they did the same thing, but instead they had him pick up a, a little girl's doll. So all of a sudden the viewer gets this bond with this character, even though in the end, this was the, this was the bad guy. So it allows you to have some empathy for this bad guy who has to deal with all this repeated loop of you know, this, this bad thing in his life. 
So there is, it's actually a, a strategy that's used frequently. I've used it myself in my own books. So an early, early scene, I have a character do something very good for somebody else. Yeah, and then, you know, you, there's also the opposite that happens. Like, you know, the, the perfect example of that is uh, John Wick. The, you know, that's, that whole movie series starts out with the, the villain killing the John Wick's dog. And so that immediately makes you against that that villain and and you and everything like all the killing that John Wick does in the the three movies now it's you know it's justified because the at the very beginning he killed the dog and so it's like yes it's John Wick is justified in going after this character because he is a horrible person that would kill his dog right exactly yeah but it's it's uh it's interesting. It's uh, children and pets, children and dogs. And actually killing a dog is, I've heard from other authors and filmmakers that it's actually very dangerous. I say dangerous it's, as far as a film, because if somebody, if you do that in the beginning of the film or a book, somebody might put the book down. They may stop watching the film because it's, it bothers them that much that I don't want to watch the, the, the movie starts out killing a dog. I don't want to watch this movie. And so some, some movie producers are very hesitant to do what you just described because you want that viewer, you want that reader to hang on throughout the story. Well, if you start out doing something that they just find just, they can't tolerate it, they're going to leave. I, I think, um, you know, with, again, going back to the example of John, John Wick, I, I think that one does work because they integrated it into the marketing. So you knew that that, so going into it, you knew that that was something that was going to happen. I've never seen that. I'll have to watch it. Yeah. I, I actually haven't seen any of the movies either, but you know, they're, they're very highly regarded as, you know, um, you know, a, a very good modern action film. And, you know, it's, it's kind of given Keanu Reeves a, a second or another resurgence as this action hero mm -hmm. uh, especially with his you know I, I have seen a lot of behind the scenes stuff would, with him you know he's very you know accurate in terms of his weapons training like he's gone through a lot of weapons training and the stuff that he does in John Wick with all the weapons that he uses is very realistic uh, the way he handles all of his weaponry and and things like that it's it's interesting from that perspective but one thing about that is that's another thing that's important in both books and movies is there's if there's one thing if you want to irritate a viewer or a reader you have to get the weapon straight because there's always there's always that person out there that knows weapons inside and out and if you you know do something silly like put a silencer on a revolver or um, you, you say a certain weapon has holds eight shots and it only holds six, somebody's going to call you on it. So uh, it's important to keep that accurate. Yeah, and it, that actually came up in, um, you know, in an earlier bonus episode, the, the last uh, bonus episode before I started this season here for the Twilight Zone. Um, I talked about the mist, which I had seen for the first time and there they have eight bullet a gun with eight bullets and you know on screen you only see eight bullets fired 
so they they actually keep that very accurate mm-hmm. and uh, although I think it's it's funny that you mentioned silencers um, because that that's something at least for most normal people it's something that they've accepted in terms of movie logic because you know like a real silencer like reduces the gun from I mean, I don't know the exact number, but it, it reduces it from like 100 decibels to like 95 decibels. But mm-hmm. in movies, it reduces it from 100 decibels down to you can, can't even hear it in the other room. A minor ping, you know. Yeah. yeah. You know, was, was there anything else that, that you wanted to, to bring up about the uh, judgment night here? No, I'm not really. I mean, I, I enjoyed the episode. I'm actually appreciate the opportunity because like I said I haven't seen any Twilight Zone episodes in probably 30 years so it was kind of fun to go back and um, I found out that on Hulu they've got I think they've got the entire series on Hulu yeah they they have um, all five seasons of the uh, the original run of the Twilight Zone they don't have the uh, the 85 or the 2000s reboots but you know a lot of people don't don't really think very highly of of those episodes, but they do have all of the black and white Rod Serling hosted Twilight Zone episodes, uh, at least at the moment here in the U.S. Yeah, I'm gonna I'll probably go back and watch some more because I did enjoy it. Yeah, I I definitely wanted to look at some more as well once I um, you know finish focusing on on the three classic episodes that that I'm covering for this show because it's they they are. The show is a lot of fun and the majority of the episodes do hold up and that's worth revisiting. And, and I'm glad that I that I chose you know the Twilight Zone for this second season. Um, but I'd like to thank you for talking with me today. It's uh, it's been a pleasant conversation. I enjoyed it. Thank you. And then, um, you know, I, I don't know if you have any social medias or if uh so you want to uh, remind everybody about the name of your books and then I'll I'll also include links um, where people can find those books if they're interested in the show notes as well. Sure. Um, I have three books out now. I'm working on the fourth. The first one I wrote is called The Heroes of St. Mary Glees. The second one is Nino's Heart. The third one is Nino's War and it can be found at J.D. Keene. Um, actually, you can go to Amazon and just enter J.D. Keene, and then they'll come up. I also have a website, www.jdkeene.com. I have a Facebook page. It's actually pretty popular. I share a lot of the stuff, really not even necessarily associated with my book, but uh, just some research I've done that I put out there. So anybody who's interested in World War II would probably like my uh, Facebook page. Um, and that's uh, JD Keen World War II author.com. I mean, JD Keen World War II author. <laughs> All right. And as always, uh, I'm Bubba Wheat, and you can find me at flightstightsofboominights.com. You can find me on Twitter at Bubba Wheat, and you can find this show, It's Time to Rewind, on anchor.fm, as well as anywhere else where you listen to podcasts. And I have my own Facebook group. It's Time to Rewind, a time loop group. And you can join that and uh, discuss the episodes as they come out. And you can also have discussions about the time loop movies and TV shows or time travel and anything else. It's 
it's a lot of fun. I'd like to see that community continue to grow. And, uh, you know, until next time, I'll be here trapped in the Twilight Zone. Submitted for your approval. Submitted for your approval. Another dimension. So light for your approval. Another dimension. So light for your shadow. Another dimension. So light for your shadow. Another dimension. self. So light for your shadow. Another twilight zone. Submitted for your approval. The twilight zone. Submitted for your approval. The twilight zone. This is what is meant by paying the fiddler. This is the comeuppance awaiting every man when the ledger of his life is opened and examined. The tally made and then the reward or the penalty paid.